So this week, I was actually, uh, I was playing a game of Battleship with, uh, with our younger son, and he's just started to learn that game. And it's a big deal because he's beginning to play independently, where he doesn't need, like, to be on the team of a parent. And so we're playing the game of Battleship, um, and it's going on for a while. It's, it's just me versus him. And, uh, and I'm like, how am I not hitting any ship ever? And then I'm like, hey, bud, uh, you know those don't get to move, right? And he's like, oh. <laughs> like, yeah, you kind of pick where they go and they stay there. And then, then you, like, so you know you got your grid here with your boats on, and then you got the grid in front. So I'm guessing, and I'm still not hitting anything, and I'm like, I-9. And I'm watching as he's looking the grid up top, not the one down below, and I'm like, oh, bud, you're looking at the, no wonder I'm not winning. So then, uh, then I go to get a drink, and I come back, and he's had this, he has this string of miraculous guesses all in a row. Like, the next six are all direct hits, and I'm like, I think, uh, I think somebody's eyes went looking. I'm like, this isn't battleship at this point. This is pirate ship. There are no rules, none whatsoever. And, and, uh, and we're playing, and I'm thinking, like, wouldn't it be nice to do life that way? to know all the potential things that were going to come your way, and you could just like, navigate through them perfectly. Wouldn't that be really nice? But we can't make that happen. I'm sorry. That's not possible. But one of the things that I think is possible is if we look at our past, we look at what God has taught us previously, I think going forward, we can learn a lot about how to navigate things. We might not know what's going to happen, but I think we can know really clearly how we should live when whatever happens, happens. In this series, 2020, one of us to, to think about is this concept um, that oftentimes people say that hindsight is 2020. Because you look back, and how many times do you look back at something and, and you say, oh man, if I could only do it again, I'd do it differently. If I had a second chance, I would do it differently. It would be different this next time. And you can look back and see some trends with how you would act if you could do a whole bunch of things differently. My point for 2020 is this. Let's look ahead like we look back. Let's look ahead and say, God, as much as I value integrity and doing things right the first time in my past, let's try and get it right the first time in our future. So we're going to look at that uh, for the next couple of weeks, and we're excited for that because I, I think every one of us has things in our past that we look back and we regret, like, I wish I would have done that differently. We look ahead and we think, all right, I want to learn from that. And that's the biblical idea of wisdom, is that you would let God teach you based on your past and the past of others for how to navigate the future. You'd say, okay, I've learned that, that I don't get to be rude and, and, and short-sighted to people and short-tempered with people, and that's, that doesn't work. So moving forward, I want God to grow me in that and to shape me and change me in that. Because we don't look back and we're not proud of the times when we lacked integrity, are we? You don't look back and think, I'm glad I took a shortcut and ruined a bunch of relationships. Or, or I'm, glad, uh, I'm glad I was lazy and chose convenience over hard work. No, I think we look back and there's things that we're proud of. And so let's live that way in the future. Let's have the wisdom to say, God, I may not be able to see exactly what's going to happen. But through your word and through what you've taught me in life, I can see how I should be able to navigate everything that does happen. To do that, we're going to look at a guy's life in the Bible named Joseph. And Joseph, um, if you're familiar with the Bible, you, you maybe heard some different stories about him. If you're not, so I just want to kind of give you a bit of an overview here. The, the Old Testament, the beginning of it, is really broken down into, into what we call the patriarchs, or the, the, the founding fathers of the faith. So you've got Abraham. You've got Isaac, and you've got Jacob, and then Jacob had 12 sons 
who would become the nation of Israel who God's going to choose to reach the world through. Um, so one of those sons, the youngest, is a guy named Joseph. Joseph, as the youngest of, of 11 other brothers, um, he's going to be a guy who doesn't do the younger brother thing really well. All right, so he, he, he kind of makes it a point to let his brothers know that he's better than them. Uh, in fact, uh, the way it kind of goes is Joseph has a dream that God's going to raise him to a position where a bunch of people are going to bow down before him, including his brothers, and Joseph makes sure they know about it. And as you can imagine, if you've got 11 older brothers, the idea of the little ones suggesting you bow down does not work real well. Um, so they've got some real brotherly love towards him. I would guess they're from Philly because they beat him and throw him in a pit. Okay, if you ever been in Philly, I think that's pretty accurate. Um, but so so Joseph has this moment where he's they want to kill him, and then one of his brothers speaks some I guess you could call it wisdom into the situation where they're going, hey, don't kill him. Um, it'd be better off if we made a profit and sold him. It's a little better at least. Uh, so he sells him into to slavery, and, and eventually Joseph ends up being purchased by a man named Potiphar who takes him down to Egypt. Um, and Potiphar then puts him into his house as a servant. That's where we're going to pick up the story. That's where we're going to get to see Joseph's integrity show through. Originally, we were going to look all of, at all of chapter 39 today, but it was, as, as we looked at it and we talked about it as a staff, we thought, no, we really want to focus on each section at a time. So we're going to look at Joseph's rise. Next week, we'll look at a fall. Then we'll look at a rise again. Um, so, so Joseph, uh, at this point, he's the newfound servant of a guy named Potiphar, and we'll check it out in Genesis 39. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household. He entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Cool. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this opportunity we have this morning. Um, the reality is we're looking at the life of a man who um, had every reason to, to just phone it in and to quit um, as he was rejected, as he was unwanted. But instead, he chose to follow after you, and, and you took his past experience and his present integrity and rose him to a place where he was able to do some pretty awesome stuff. And God, I, I pray that we have a heart of Joseph, that we've looked to do things the right way, and we watch you raise us to places of influence because of it. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So here's the deal. Like, I look at Joseph, and he's going to fall, but it's actually not because of his fault, and we'll see that next week. But I look at a guy like Joseph, and I go... I feel like a lot of what's true of his life should be true of ours. That we all have this past that we're kind of, you know, in a sense running away from or getting away from or surviving from. And, and God's moved us to a place where what really, really matters is not so much arranging and controlling our future and our destiny. What really, really matters is how we operate and act within the choices that God has for us to make, within the behaviors that, that God has for us. For us to say, God, what do you want me to do right here, right now? And I think the reality is that integrity of Joseph is so incredibly valuable. And I don't know if you, if you really understand how precious that is for people to be able to rely on you. So here, here's what I want us to do. I want us to look at three things that made Joseph an absolute 
uh, person of integrity, and what does it look like for us to be that ourselves? So, so let's start with this. Um, number one, he had integrity that made him trustworthy. And I know that sounds simple, but just consider for a second how difficult it is to actually really trust someone. To really let yourself be vulnerable, vulnerable around them. And how much of a gift is it when somebody becomes that to you? And I think you gain a picture of how important that is to God. This is, for Potiphar to, to put Joseph in this position, and what, what wasn't really that long of a time, this was a staggering amount of trust to put in a slave. To say, Joseph, y- you get it all. You can have charge over everything. He would have, when, when Joseph was purchased, Potiphar would have been extremely skeptical of this guy with a story and excuses, and, and here he is, and, and, and what am I going to think of this guy? Am I, we'll just keep him in the field, we'll keep him far away from the house, we'll give him meaningful, meaningless work, and, and, and we'll just keep him busy. And then all of a sudden, Joseph gains the trust of Potiphar. In fact, the, the story goes that Potiphar saw the Lord was with him, I mean, he could tell. Like, he can look and say, there's something unique about this guy. The way he does things, the way that he works, the way that he interacts with other people, there's something significant about this individual. So Joseph found favor in his eyes, and Potiphar increased the responsibility of Joseph to the point where Joseph has everything in, his, in, in Potiphar's care. I mean, this is a pretty sweet deal from, from Potiphar's perspective, right? He bought a slave and ended up with a CEO. The only thing he's got to worry about is what's for dinner. Like when Joseph is in town, it's like my big decision is do I want lasagna or, or do I want, you know, roast beef? I don't know. That's, that's, that's his biggest decisions in life is what does he have to have for dinner? Why? Because Joseph was so incredibly trustworthy. And me talk about a diamond in the rough, right? He goes and he, he just expects this, this low-class worker and, and He finds a guy with integrity, and it changes his life because Joseph is so dependable. What is integrity? If you had to to come up with a definition for that, what is that? Uh, For me, I kind of look at it like this. Um, I put it in question form. Can you be who you should be when, first of all, it's tough for you to be who you should be? Can you be who you should be when it's tough for you to be? be who you should be because anybody who can be can be who they should be when it's easy to be who you should be but when it's tough when it when it when you have to own your mistakes when you have to admit that you were wrong and you don't you don't take an easy way out that makes you look good when, when you go the extra mile to sacrifice when you forgive again it's easy to be who you should be when it's easy to be that but when it's tough that's when integrity shows up. Or the other one is, can you be who you should be when no one will know if you haven't been who you should be? Like, nobody's going to find out. Right, to me, that is always the real determiner of, of what's actually going in, on in your heart. If nobody's going to know, if nobody's going to know, can you be who you should be? And I think if you answer those two things, I think those are the heart of integrity because integrity is something that never only matters in theory. Nobody says, like, theoretically, he's a man of integrity, but he steals my lunch every day, which may or may not be our student ministry director, Connor. But anyway, <laughs> nobody says, in theory, she's reliable, but, but practically she talks about me every time I leave the room. No, because integrity, by, by demand, is a concrete thing. It's got to show up 
in your life. Potiphar only trusts Joseph because there's been actual results, because there's been actual loyalty and actual reliability. And, and Potiphar, probably like everybody else in this room, has been burned by somebody who did not have integrity. He's been betrayed by somebody who should have been who they should have been and instead were somebody else. And they took a shortcut or they, they did the easy thing or they did the selfish thing. We've all been betrayed by somebody in that scenario, which is why it's so incredibly refreshing to find a Joseph. To find somebody who you can go, my whole house is yours. I trust you with every penny that comes in. So incredibly refreshing. And I'm reading this and I'm going, I think we should all be Joseph. I think we should all be reliable and loyal and trustworthy. Nobody, by the way, nobody will ever, not even close, call you to more integrity than Jesus Christ. Wherever you think integrity exists in the world, it will always exist more in Jesus Christ. He teaches, uh, what, what he teaches will call you to a higher level of credibility than anything else in the world. Jesus goes, you've heard that you should love people. Love one another as you love yourself. Think about that practically, the integrity that calls you to. When you have an opportunity that promotes you and demotes somebody else. Think about the integrity of of, of loving them as you love yourself. And then he even amplifies it further because Jesus gets down, washes their feet, and he's predicting his own crucifixion. And he goes, I tell you, love each other as I have loved you. And so he heightens the integrity of that. He calls you to more. He goes, you, you've heard it said not to commit adultery with someone. I tell you, you don't even look lustfully at a woman because you've committed adultery in your heart. Jesus, should we forgive somebody seven times? No, you should forgive them 70 times seven. Nobody will ever call you to more integrity than Jesus Christ. Now, what the Bible teaches is it's not your integrity that gets you in the doors of heaven. Jesus came and died in our place so that through faith we can die, we can live after we die. We're not integrity to earn it. We don't have integrity to earn an entrance. We have integrity because of what's been done for us on the cross. And so each one of us should look at that call and say, I want to answer that call, that high level of integrity call, because I think Jesus is worth it. And honestly, honestly, if I'm just really blatantly honest with you, I think I just want to be that. I think every man, woman, teen should desire to be a person of integrity. Because when you're a person of integrity, you know what happens? Other people confide in you. Other people feel safe in you and they, they trust you. They appreciate you more. They'll know. You know why? Because they'll know what they get in you. Integrity makes you a constant. In a world filled with variables, a world filled filled with people who say things to get the position they want or who say things to get the result they want, a person of who is a constant is incredibly valuable. A person who isn't fickle, who, who you, you look at and you just know what you're going to get. A person who's a Joseph, man, that's a gift to the whole house. It's a gift to the whole company. It's a gift to the whole classroom. It's a gift to your grandkids. It's a gift to the waiting room that you're stuck in. A person who is integrity is a gift everywhere they go. I was thinking about this, and I, I was wondering, like, who has been that person or one of the people in my life who's been a constant? Like, you just know what you're going to get in a good way. And I was thinking about this. And the guy that came to my mind was actually our head elder, Gary, Gary Heim. Um, if you know Gary, he's just he's a great guy. Um, there, there's three things that I know that I'm going to get with Gary every time that I talk to him. 
Um, number one, he's going to make sure that we do whatever we do the right way. Like, I'm, I, I'm not making that up. He will make sure we do it the right way, and that's a great thing. He'll make sure we do it the right way. Number two, um, I will, there will always be somewhere in the conversation a dad joke mixed in, but it's not any dad joke. He's a farmer, so it's a farming dad joke. I can't even, like, I was going to try and relay one of them. Like, he was telling me about the llamas on the way uh, to church last week and it being llama breeding season. I don't know. Um, but it's Gary. You're going to get that somewhere in the conversation. There's a dad farming joke. Um, and then the other thing is you're going you're to get somebody who's got a passion for the next generation, who says it's not all about me, but I want there to be a church here in 20 years that's still got young people in it. All right? And I love it. Every time I talk to him, I'm going to get one of those three things. It's interesting this week, uh, John, who's on staff here, was going through some stuff uh, on the stage to, to make everything uh, function a little bit better back here. And he came across this little guy. And this little thing, I, maybe you, some of you might actually remember this. This is a pass from 2008 where Gary Heim, our head elder, rented a limo to take kids out. And this is a limo pass for kids in the kids' ministry. Some of you were probably in that limo and, and hung out with the, the kids' ministry people in a limo because in 2008, Gary Heim said, next generation. And he's a constant. And every time we talk to him, every time we look to him for wisdom, we're getting that stuff. Man, I, like, I, it's such a gift. And I want the people in your life to have that. Jesus wants you to be that for him. It's just so, so great. Like, here, here's, here's the thing. While we are a church that changes, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again, we will keep methodically making small changes because it keeps us from having to make any gigantic changes all at once. We want there to be a church here in 20 years, so we're going to keep changing little things here and there. But while we change, much of what is at our core will be an absolute constant, and I want you to know that. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make, like, a promise to you, and then I'm going to ask for, for some skin in the game on your part. So you didn't know that you were making a deal with me this morning, but you did. So um, I accept. We'll, we'll maintain a fierce commitment to what's important to Jesus. We'll maintain a fierce commitment to what's important to Jesus. We've shaped that in our values, and I just want to run through them quickly. Um, the, the first one is this, is we're going to have a rock-solid dependence on God. We can only do what we do because God is both the beginning and the end. He's the goal. He's the source. Everything comes from him. He's the provider. He, he's the one who inspires us. He's everything. And he is the foundation for all that we do. Uh, we uh, were reading a book called uh, Canoeing the Mountains. And he talks about how to, how to keep the church growing in a changing world. And wh what do we do with that? Uh, and, and there's a story in there that he talks about when his church was having a $9 million building campaign. It just called for massive changes, and a lot of people were struggling with that, and they were unhappy, and, um, and, and so he kind of gotten used to people coming up to him and complaining to him, and one older woman comes up to him, and she says, I, I just want you to know that I'm a voice for you, and I'm praying for you, and he goes, that's awesome. All these changes we're trying to make for good. It's nice to hear somebody who's on board with the changes, and she goes, oh, I don't pray for that. I pray for you to keep preaching the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. Just keep preaching the Bible and don't get off track. That's what I pray for every day. Like everything else could change, but that's got to stay the same. That's got to be a constant. I personally, I don't know what else I'd talk about. Like maybe fly fishing, but I don't think you'd all be here for fly fishing lessons. Uh, but I, don't, I really don't know what else I would talk Like I can't talk to you about finances. I can't talk to you uh, about politics. I can talk to you about the word of God and Jesus Christ. So we're going to keep doing that. Cool? Good. Second, second one is everyone's invited. 
Everyone's invited. Do you understand that Jesus intentionally sought out people that damaged, quote, damaged his reputation? The, the phrase, in some way, shape, or form, that comes up again and again in the scriptures is, is if he knew what sort of woman that was. If he knew who that was. If he knew the history, if he knew the failures, if he knew the weaknesses, if he knew the flaws, if he knew the dirt, he wouldn't be there. But he is. He is. And so if Jesus felt free to love and to interact with anyone in society, then, man, shouldn't that be us? If it's important to Christ, let it be important to us. Third one is this. Let's have a passion and an obligation for the next generation. We got a bunch of kids who are at camp this week, and I love it. We got, we got a picture of our, our nine-year-old, and I'm like, that kid has not slept in 36 hours. <laughs> I don't know how much sugar he has consumed. But I will say this. We watched some clips of some of what they were being taught. I'm going, that's awesome. That's worth our investment as a church to send a bunch of kids up there. It, it, it's worth it uh, to, to, uh, to have a glow, glow night like we had the other night. with these. It's worth it to, to do something special, to sacrifice uh, we, we've got teens at a church who are awesome. I don't know if you've met our teens. Say hi to them. They're pretty incredible. We've actually so incredible. Connor and I are like, you know what? We should probably like let them do some of this stuff. Like let let's let them do some announcements and some offerings of ushering and and let's let them check your kids in because they're pretty awesome. And like one day I'm not going to be sitting up here, and so somebody from that generation is going to have to be there. So so let's get them used to it, right? So we got a passion obligation for the next generation. The, the next one here is we're a source of grace, not drama. I didn't realize when we put this one together how much this would be a relief to people who were new, who left other churches that were filled with drama. And they go, huh, you mean like we're just supposed to love each other? Yeah, yeah, we are. And we have uh, issues we're supposed to handle them in healthy ways? Absolutely, we are. Because Jesus is a source of grace, so we're going to be. Right? Drama, drama tears things apart. There are other churches out there being torn apart. We want to do everything in our power to say we're going to be a source of grace, not drama. You can be unhappy. That's fine. Come talk to me about it. I'd love to. I'd love to have a conversation with you about it. Um, but every one of us is capable of choosing, myself included. Every one of us is capable of a path of drama or a path of grace. And God's spirit and integrity will call you to one, not the other. And the last one is this. This is my favorite one. This is kind of like the anthem, like the others are all the foundations, and this is the one that I get excited about, that we're going to expect God to do great things because he always has. Whenever somebody has had faith, God has done something significant through them. He just has. Talk about looking back so we can look ahead. But you look back through the scriptures, and the people who trusted God, God said, okay, I'm going to raise you to the whole head of the household. Joseph's going to end up in charge of the entire country in a couple of weeks. That's amazing. It takes a guy of faith to say, God, what do you want to do? The other day I was on uh, Facebook, and one of my friends posted a house for sale. And they said, you should buy this house. It's got a beautiful uh, overlooking spot on the lake. It's, it's a home with a view. When you expect God to do great things because he always has, you get a life with a view. You get to see incredible things. You get to, we, we got dads who gave up a weekend to go hang out and not sleep a wink because they're watching kids all night long at camp. They got a life with a view right now. It's a sleepy one, but they got a life with a view. We got people going on a Dominican missions trip. You're going to have a life with a view. People getting baptized soon. Life with a view. You get to see God do great things when you expect it, when you believe that he's going to work through you. We as a church want life with a view. We want to see God do some incredible things. That's, that's 
my promise to you. Your turn. One thing that will denature, change the very core of all that we talked about quicker than anything else from, from the church side is gossip. Now, I want to talk about this from the perspective of now you ought to feel guilty because I, I don't really think we have a, a gossip problem right now. This is preventative because we see it so often take place in the church. This is part of being a source not, of grace, not drama, right? So here's the deal. I'll read two scriptures and we're going to talk about them. Proverbs 18, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels that go down to the inmost parts. Proverbs 20, a gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid anyone who talks too much. No nudging somebody next to you. Two ways you can tell if it's gossip. Two ways. The first one is if you are a biased news source. If you're a biased news source. You ever hear somebody watch Fox News or CNN or, or whatever? They say, I can't watch it. I can't stand that because it's biased. It's biased. Why? Because you're trying to slant the per perspective of the events. If you're trying to slant the perspective of somebody else, if you're, if you're only telling the bad things and leaving out the good things, only foc focusing on the, the negative and, and forgetting the positive, that, that's gossip. The sec second one is this, is if the person you were talking about walked in the room, would you stop talking? That's a really good sign that what you're doing is not from God. We as a staff have a policy where we hold every conversation like that person's in the room with us. We, we were serious about that. It, it, if it hurts them to say it, then we probably don't say it. Or at least we don't say it without a whole bunch of love, right? Do you realize, do you realize that when we gossip, we're essentially trying to destroy somebody else's credibility. But if what Proverbs says is true, you by default destroy your own credibility as well. If you sink their ship, you've sunk yours as well. A gossip destroys a confidence. By going to another person and talking about another person, the other person is going to figure out that then it's only a matter of time till you talk to somebody else about them. And all this integrity that makes Joseph attractive, that, that makes it wise to live this way, is sacrificed because of a lack of integrity with our, with our words. And here, here's the tricky part. Like, gossip, gossip feels good, and it feels like we're doing, doing a good thing. It feels good. It's satisfying to be the news bearer. And it feels like we're doing a good thing. We, we could clean up. We could say gossip is, uh, it, it's for everybody else. What I do is not gossip. It, what I do is information processing and distribution. I just take it. I, I work it out. And then I share. I just distribute information. No. Look, nobody's going to hire you for that, all right? Um, you are gossiping. And just because it's coming out of your mouth doesn't mean that it's not what it is. You're sinking your own credibility. It's not a good thing. You can't do a bad thing in a good way and make it a good thing. It doesn't work like that. Joseph doesn't rise because of that. Jesus doesn't call you to that. You can't do a bad thing in a good way and make it a good thing. Integrity isn't that. And you know how I know this is right? Because none of us want to be the person that's outside the room when everybody else in the room is talking about us. Right? Solution to this, by the way, if somebody comes and gossips to you, solution is always involve the third party. Like, hey, I understand Connor ate your lunch. You probably shouldn't be talking about it in the sermon. Let's go talk to Connor about it, okay? Let's just, let, let me check my calendar. I'm going to reach out to Connor, and we're going to sit down, and we're going to talk about it. We're not going to do it over lunch because that's a sensitive spot for you right now. We'll do it over breakfast. Involve the third party. 
That's my, that's my request of you. Graciously, graciously, don't listen to it and don't participate in it. Because what, what we're doing is just too, too important to lose the integrity of the church for that. Second thing that makes Joseph, you probably forgot we were doing three things. Second thing that makes Joseph a man of integrity is he battled for the best in others. He battled for the best in others. Joseph, in the, in the text, it implies that he wasn't trying to climb the corporate ladder. He just genuinely had an interest in enriching the lives of the people around him. That Joseph legitimately wanted profit, pro, excuse me, Potiphar to be more profitable. I don't know why I put those two words in the same sentence. That's a bad idea. He wanted Potiphar to make more money. Um, and so he made Potiphar more money. And by default, then, his concern for his master made everybody else's life better because Potiphar's in a good mood and everything's running well. Man, th this, this is Joseph just saying, I'm going to make people's lives better. Let's take a page out of his book. Let's battle for the best in others. So who are the people? So it's, it's two questions. Who and then the how. And, and I'll give you some examples, but at the end of the day, that's going to be unique to every single situation that you're in in life. Um, who, who does God want you to battle the best for? And then how? Maybe it's an encouragement to them. Maybe it's to take the time to free up your schedule and say, you're so important, I, I'm going to sit down with you for two hours. Maybe it's to, to serve them or to take an interest in their life. I don't know. When uh, Corinne and I bought the house that we lived in prior to this, everybody warned us about the neighbor we were moving in next to. And I was like, she's this little old lady. I don't know. What's the big deal? And they're like, oh, she's going to spy on you. She's going to call the homeowners association on you. She's, she's going to this. She's going to that. Well, even our, our people that we bought the house from, like, you know that meeting where nobody talks to anybody and you just sign the papers over and they're thinking you bought our house, ha. Huh? Um, well, after we, we signed the paper, she goes, hey, I just want to warn you about the neighbor. I'm like, you couldn't tell me before? It's real convenient for you. So you're going to have issues with the neighbor. And we just decided, you know what, we're going to give her a fresh start. Uh, we'll plant some bushes so she can't look through with binoculars. And, um, and one day we're outside, and, uh, and she comes over, and she's talking, and she's complaining about all the dandelions in her yard how she tries so hard to keep her dandelions out, but she can't win because the neighbors never take care of them, and they all blow onto hers. And I'm thinking, like, lady, Genesis 3, you're biting, fighting a battle. You are not going to win. Dandelions are going to take over the world one day, okay? <laughs> Thorns and thistles, it's right there. But you know what? I go out, and we buy dandelion treatment for our, our grass. Why? Because I'm going to battle for the best for her. Because I want to have a relationship with her that in the end somehow works to the place where it can become spiritual. And I can share with her the fact that Jesus Christ loved her enough to die on the cross for her. And she'll hear it. You know why she'll hear it? She may not agree, but she'll hear, with it. she'll hear it. You know why? Because we battle for the best. We battle for the best in her. Ask God who and look, look for the how. The best, by the way, at its end is always, always spiritual. It's always spiritual. The goal is never just to make their life a little bit easier. The goal is always to somehow connect them to Jesus Christ, if it's through inviting them or, or, or what, whatever it is. You know, I was thinking about this from the perspective of parents. Um, parents, parents, battle for the best in your kids and know, know the best is never what every other parent defines it is. The best is what Jesus Christ defines it is. Battle for the best for your kids from his perspective. Deuteronomy chapter 11 Fix these words of mine on your hearts and minds. 
Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. There's two things that challenge me as a father of two young boys. Number one, and this is very, very profound. This will blow your minds. It's scientific. It's mathematical. It's all of that. You got to open your mouth. Okay? You have to open your mouth. Because you can't talk to them about what really matters if your mouth stays closed. I know. You should write that down. You can't talk unless mouth is open. Because dads especially, let me have your hearts for a second. That's the most important thing we can do. Love our spouse well and talk to our kids about spiritual stuff. And If you got young kids, you're real lucky right now because you can talk to them about it before it gets awkward. It'll be a little awkward to start. Start small. But if you got young kids, they don't understand. And you can talk crazy stuff. You can, you can have heresy, theology, errors, all this kinds of stuff. They're not going to know. So you just figure it out along the way, okay? you got to start somewhere. Second thing about this is this implies a time commitment. The kids are with you. The kids are with you at home and on the road and when you lie down and when you get up. And I, I get we're a busy society. So, like, personally, my wife and I, we both work and, and we're involved in, in stuff and and we're going, okay, so if we're going to do this, if we're going to build a relationship with our kids, we're going to have to give up other things that we enjoy to make this happen. And so we make sacrifices. And I think that's what it's calling us to, is just to involve them in life. I was on Facebook the other day, and uh, a guy I know, his name's Ryan McGinnis, he's a real, pretty great guy. Um, but he had a, a picture of him painting a new addition to his house with his two kids and they're like four and five and they got rollers in their hands and i'm thinking like ryan you don't know you do not know how that, i've been there man you don't know how that's gonna every nobody leaves that room without paint everybody's looking like a smurf when they get out of there it's not gonna happen but you know what he knows is he doesn't care what's on the walls as much as he cares what's in their heart that's what a father's got to say that's what a mother's gonna say is I'm willing to let go of some of my ideal circumstances in life to love them well, to open my mouth and say, as I go along the road, you're going to go with me. And I'm going to make it about Jesus Christ. So battle for the best with your kids. Uh, rabbinic tradition on Genesis 39 goes out of its way to point out the fact that Joseph would not make the choices we'll see him make next week. This week and next week, his integrity here and his integrity there. Joseph would not make the, the decisions in integrity if it were not for the influence of his father, Jacob, laying a foundation. Luther writes on this. He says, what you're seeing is essentially Jacob in Joseph because this has been implanted on his heart by his father. Battle for the best. Battle for the best. If it's your kids, if it's the person in the waiting room that you just try to make smile, Enlighten their day because they got people complaining all day long. Just battle for the best in others. Third, third one is this. If God is going to be with you, you might as well be with God. If God's going to be with you, you might as well be with God. Like if he's never going to leave you, never going to forsake you, you might as well have an awareness of th that throughout life. Through prayer, through reading scripture, through talking to other people about him. Um, four times in Genesis 39, the text goes, God was with him. God was with him. God was with him. Do you get the point? I'll say it a fourth time. God was with him. Here's what's really unique about this. Genesis 38 comes right, or Genesis 39 comes right after Genesis 38. 
which comes right after Genesis 37. Got it? Cool. So you got 37, 38, and 39. Here's why that's significant. 37 is about Joseph. 38 is not. 39 is about Joseph, and all the way through the end of Genesis is about Joseph. So you go, what's the deal with 38? 38 is about one of his brothers, Judah. What's the deal with 38? And then why does he come back in 39 and make this point that God was with him, God was with him, God was with him, God was with him? Why does that happen? Why? Because in Genesis 38, you see the story of a guy who God was with, but he was never with God. You see a story of the guy who God kept trying to guide, and Judah said, no thanks. And whereas Joseph's life spirals down, not in integrity, it spirals down in circumstances, then rises to the top because of his integrity, Judah's life spirals down in both circumstances and integrity. And the writer of Genesis is going, hey, if God's going to be with you, you might as well be with God. Because that's the foundation and the result for all the integrity in your life. Look, I don't know if, if the scriptures are a new thing for you. If they are, I, I'm going to personally invite you. You can come out anytime during the week, and we as a staff, somebody will sit down and read God's word with you. We'll just, we'll just help you through the process. If you're not up for that and you just want to start on your own, the book of John gives an overview of the life of Jesus that I think would be a great, great place to start. Please be in God's word. It's the influx of integrity for your life. It trains you, it teaches you, and it motivates you to do things the right way the first time. Right? If we look ahead, like we're going to look back and we see, man, I want to be a person of integrity, God's word's got to be in the future going forward. It needs to be. The other night, uh, I was getting ready to go to bed, and, and I noticed the sink was a little bit clogged, and I thought, I'm going to deal with that in the morning. So I get up in the morning, and I, it didn't go away like I had really hoped it would. And so I'm looking at it, and I'm, like, trying to scoop most of the water. I can't get all of it out. Um, and, and then I'm looking at it, and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to call. I'm just going to put some of that Green Goblin stuff in there. That It's like Drano. I'm going to put it in there, and I'm going to call today. I'm going to come home, and it's going to be fixed. That stuff always works. And I come home, no, didn't work. So instead of calling a plumber, I go on YouTube, which is what anybody in the right mind does. And I watch some videos. And, and an hour later, I've got every plumbing part underneath the sink torn apart. And I cannot find a clog. There's still water in the sink, but nothing's coming through the pipe. And I'm going, what in the world? And I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it. And I get a little bit more water, and I'm like, ugh. So last night when I was across the room, and I was finished with my plastic cup, and instead of getting up from the seat to put it in the sink, I took a shot from about 13 feet away, and it was perfect, and it went right in the drainage. Hole in one. It was incredible. It was a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity where literally it just went, and the cup itself stuck right in the drain. And you never know it because you're looking right through it. And I'm watching, and I'm like, huh. I've been trying to use Drano to get through a cup all day. That's not going to work. I'm really glad I didn't call a plumber because that would have been real embarrassing. There's just a block there. Here's the thing. If you're not taking time to connect with God, there will be a block in your life. I'm not telling that as in you ought to, you better. You just should. It's what God wants for you. It's what he designed you to do. Integrity starts from within, and within is changed from above. And Jesus Christ wants to change your life for the good. Let's pray. Father, I love you, and I pray, praise you. I, th- I thank you, Lord, for the example of Joseph. Uh, we're going to learn some incredible stuff next week. I can't wait to check it out. God, I pray this week you just impress upon our hearts 
how value it is, how valuable it is for us to live, live for the future like we don't want the past to repeat itself. For us to live with integrity and to be able to do it because you are the source of our strength. Father, I pray that where we go, we love people well for you. We ask that in your son's name. Amen.